This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hi, folks. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I'm your co-host, Nadia Butt. I'm an organizational development and belonging strategist. And I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DEI and people analytics. Hi, Rob. How are you this week? Hello, Nadia. How is my energy today? Is that good? It's, you feeling it? It's pretty it? high. I know. You said you're a little sick. You're feeling a little sick, right? A little under the weather. Okay. But, uh, you know, so that just makes me sound more like I have executive presence, <laughs> right? And I'm just kind of toning it down a little bit. No, I think it's sounds great. How's my executive presence? It's, I'm that's, always that's what I on ask par. You. Always. <laughs> so I got a question. I got a really random question for you. You're going to be like, why is she asking this? There's no reason okay. why I'm asking this question, but I'm just curious. Okay. Would you rather explore the depths of the ocean <laughs> or outer space? Is this a facilitation exercise? No, absolutely not. Icebreaker? It, it's a good icebreaker, but like there's no learning objective to it. Do you know what I mean? It's there's just no, sort of there's... like, it's just for fun. Yeah. I, I think, I think space, I think space. Okay. I, uh, I'm a little worried about being underwater. I have this fear Ooh. of like the depressurization and like your head exploding. Yeah, sure. I, I went scuba diving one time, right? Without lessons okay. in the barrier reef. Oh. And oh. like, there's like no lesson. They just give you a tank and they just send you down with the tank. And they're like, so if you hold your breath, yeah. your lungs will explode. And that was like the like the lesson. That is so like, frightening. Well, <laughs> so I had no I have no interest in ever being underwater. Yeah, now I don't either. Explode. They probably explode in space too, right? So yeah. Count me out for both. I would like you the Earth. takes the what is it, the SpaceX? Is that what it's called? No. Oh. I would not. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm staying on land. I'm fixing this planet. Got it. Oh, right? that's a, okay. I like that. I'm working on this one. All right. That's fair. <laughs> so let's talk to uh, this week's top DEI stories. A lot going on. Lots Nadia. going on. So this is an interesting story. So this past week, Uber's chief of diversity was put on leave after she hosted sessions about race that were called Don't Call Me Karen. 
Um, mm. So I don't know if you read this, Rob, but Bo Young Lee, the head of diversity at Uber, was asked to step back and take a leave of absence while Uber determined the next steps after there were employees that were complaining about these sessions. So it's interesting. These sessions were intended to discuss the American white woman's experience and have a dialogue about race. Mm. But okay. workers instead felt that um, they were being lectured on the difficulties experienced by white women and why Karen was a derogatory term. And so people felt like there was a lot of conversations on Slack that were like the internal Slack page that were happening that New York Times had insight into. Uh, many of the employees felt that Bo Young Lee was dismissive of their concerns and then employees felt that the event organizers were minimizing racism and the harm that white people can inflict on, you know, marginalized groups of people like the BIPOC community by focusing on how Karen is a hurtful word. Any reactions to this? So many things to think about there. And I, I am know. curious on your thoughts about how to actually have some of these sensitive conversations. But, you know, like most people, when I saw this, I groaned and, you know, this goes back to what we talked about last week with Uber centering the discomfort of white women in having some of these conversations. Sure. We talked about belonging as well as being a way to center the comfort of, of white people last week. So yeah. there's a lot of tactical errors here, right? Like using the term Karen, I don't think that's like an official term. It didn't seem like there were experts on this kind of dialogue present. It seems like, again, they were dismissive. So their aim and their focus was off. But then I also thought, Nadia, and you have this experience as well. I thought about my own experience in big corporations. And so we, yeah, we don't have a ton of context about why this happened or what the thought process was around right. it. And the CDO was put on leave, but you, we've been there, right? And so yeah. you end up doing things that everyone knows is wrong when you work in a big corporation yeah. because someone in a power, in a position of power wants it, wants you to do it, right? So yeah. there's a lot of emperor has no clothes scenarios, right? So it's not a huge leap for me to imagine that, you know, let's say the CFO named Barbara, uh, and I'm just, I'm just making names yeah, up. This sure. is not like a real person, but, you know, said, hey, you know, I'm tired of being called the Karen, so let's do some programming for white women. And the DEI team tries to pull something together. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, we, do, we need a little bit more context about why okay. this happened, what their thought Agreed. process was. Yeah. And then I also think it, it's really easy to put the DEI leader on leave, mm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like executives... F up all the time and they don't go on leave. They get coached. They get, coached. Uh, they get brought back. They get <laughs> the opportunity to make more mistakes. So I do think that there's not enough context, but there's a possibility that it's just really easy to put the DEI leader on leave and not work through this as an organization. Yeah, I would agree. You know, we need more context. We need to understand this a little bit more, have more information. I do think that oftentimes in large organizations, because the DEI teams tend to be um, they have resources. There's, you know, there's people on the teams, there's talent. I don't know how hand in hand they work with learning development professionals where their focus is really like creating learning objectives and creating things not in a bubble, right? Like leveraging mm -hmm. people in teams with like employees to really create the program. Also like piloting programs. So again, I don't know if they took this approach, but like Learning development professionals are big believers of like, we have to pilot a program to get the feedback and then adjust based off of the feedback. That's a very big component of instructional design. I'm not saying that they didn't do that, but I feel like if they had done that, they would have received this feedback in 
more of a private setting to then make adjustments if needed. So I'm just, I've been Mm -hmm. reflecting on that um, a little bit as well Is like, we can't create things in bubbles. So, so, so Nadia, you wouldn't get everyone together and have a conversation on how difficult it is to be a white woman. You wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. (laughs) No. I also feel that there's healthy discourse that should occur and how we handle that discourse. There's ways that people can still learn from it. So Again, we don't have all the context. I was sad to see that they put her on leave. I think you make such a great point that people should really start to think about how do we coach. Um, It's almost like the cancel culture, right? It's like this woman, I believe, has been in this position since 2018. Mm -hmm. You know, again, we need more context and information. That's all. And I've heard from people that this is a very thoughtful executive and very strategic as well. So, you know, so neither does we think I was at the Utah Diversity Summit last fall. Yes, we have a diversity summit here in Utah. Uh, and so the governor of Utah was on stage and the very first thing that came out of his mouth was something like, I don't believe in systemic racism. Yeah. You know, uh, he's a Republican, so it's like climate change for him. Like, you, you, can, yeah. you can just not believe it. Yeah. It's something that it exists, doesn't but, exist. And his chief diversity officer was on the stage with him, you know, and just she just had to nod along, yeah. right? But, but she knows, she knows what's the right way to do things. And obviously, um, you know, sometimes you get caught in a situation where you're doing the wrong thing. So I, I have a little bit of sympathy from a corporate perspective. The way it's reported, tactically, just so many errors in the way it was executed. Yeah. And a conversation that we should be having, especially in big corporations, where a lot of times white women are doing pretty well, if you look at the data, and women of color are not doing so well, right? right? Like, we need to have the conversation about Why how the different uh, disparities white women should be allies yeah. and how they should bring along uh you know, women of color and particularly black women as well. So yeah. that's the conversation that should be taking place. Yes. Uh, and, and hopefully that's what, <laughs> the direction they go next. Yeah. I'd be curious to see what happens, what Uber decides to do moving forward. Um, so I will keep my eyes um, on the lookout for that. I might follow this woman on LinkedIn. Yeah. 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 Well, well for the best for everyone, obviously. So uh, next thing, according to NPR, the latest workers calling for work-life balance are airline pilots. Okay. So you may remember in March, airline pilots secured a very big pay raise, but they're not calling awareness to their work-life balance issues due to a pilot shortage. Airlines have lengthened trips to meet demand, and what were once one- to two-day stints on their schedules are now four to five days in a row, destroying their family life, and you know, with some being away from home for 15 days or so in a month. Mm-hmm. And it also causes huge problems with the schedule if like the first leg of that trip goes wrong right then other pilots are called in so it's kind of a scheduling disaster so right. uh, you looked at this what what were some of your thoughts yeah i mean of course we kind of had a similar um discussion last week about the, the da- exotic dancers protesting for like fair compensation and just safe working conditions and so i think we have to keep continuing to protest and fight for things that we deserve and work balance is huge and i Travel is booming right now. I don't want a tired pilot, you know, flying my plane. Um, So I think, you know, protesting and continuing to fight for what you think you need um, and making that vocal is really important. I I mean, that's how laws like child labor laws are instituted is by protesting. So um, let's let's support them as much as they need. Uh, I believe I know that this was one airlines that we kind of. Um, that they mentioned was united and like the picketing that was happening outside of Dallas, which is interesting because that's an airport that I fly into quite regularly. 
But I know that Southwest had this issue back in December or in the fall sometime. Yeah. So this is pretty common um, in that industry, I think. And they got to get what they need because I do not want a very exhausted pilot you, flying my plane. Do you do you know any do you know any pilots, Nadia? They're so exhausted, and they nod. Like, do you ever talk to, have stories? Like, I'm not going to out like some of the folks that I know, yeah. but they like they nod off all the time. I do like that you pulled it back to the exotic dancers. I also owe the exotic dancers an apology because I think I used the term strippers last week, and I think that's more the more catchy term. Uh, in terms of like promoting the show, but they are they are dancers. They're very skilled professionals, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I like that you pulled it back. Maybe some of the pilots should do some of the tactics that those dancers yeah. used in getting uh, some, right? They had runway shows and they dressed in really cool costumes yeah. outside the airport. Yeah. So maybe they should do that. But maybe with, let's not forget with how the we... uniforms that um, the the um, the neutral. Yeah, yeah, the gender neutral gender, uniforms sorry, that are available in Alaska, Alaska Airlines yeah. and Virgin Atlantic. Yeah. But let's not forget how we actually got here, right? So before the pandemic, these airlines bought massive amounts of their own stock, enriching their management and shareholders, then demanded a bailout from taxpayers. Then the government, led by the president at that time, Mr. Super Negotiator, Mr. Art of the Deal, right? So he made this deal that the airlines got their money from the government only if they didn't lay everyone off until like September 30th of 2020. Mm -hmm. So on October 1st, guess what they did? They laid off a bunch of people, yeah. right? So strike one for former genius president. Yeah. And then they offered huge uh, amounts of these early retirement packages to pilots as well. Right, I remember. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. so they did that, right? So they laid people off. They offered early retirements. That gets into the point that we are now, right? So inflation and the winter demand came back for flights. Obviously, there's just not enough pilots available right. to be able to pull this off. So, so they... They made a series of errors here, and it's the, it's the public that pays for it in terms of inflation, mm -hmm. in terms of the, like how much it costs to fly anywhere, and it's the pilots and their families for them not being able to uh, you know spend time and with and have adequate support. So yeah. definitely support these these airline pilots, and it really should be held accountable from the uh, perspective of management. Someone should be held accountable on the airline. Absolutely. I know that's not true. That's never yeah. going to happen. So yeah, well. We hope. <laughs> One can hope. Anyway, that was a rant. I went into a rant. That's Sorry. That's right. That's great, though. Um, well, that's it for the deets. Folks, we'll be right back with our guests, Leah Abel and Olivia Hayton of Circus Up. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, folks. This week, we have such a treat for you. We are joined by my good friends, Leah Abel and Olivia Hatton, uh, team members of Up a Boston-based nonprofit that breaks down social barriers through circus arts. Leah is a founder and executive director and head instructor at Circus Up. When Leah is not coaching circus and tackling systemic inequities in the circus arts community, she works as a hospital, a Boston Children's Hospital, and performs with the Duo Aerials Act, Beckham um, Abel. An alum of Imagio Theater Group, Leah also performs with Clowns Without Borders. She holds a master's degree in social work from Simmons College and a master's in environmental law 
and Policy from Vermont Law School. Olivia, performing art artist, dancer, mock, a meditation guide and yoga instructor. She is trained in traditional indigenous Afro-Brazilian and Ghanaian rhythms and movements, has been trained in contentious intuition and environment-led movement. Formal dance training also includes jazz, ballet, modern, house, and hip-hop. Rob, I feel like we should get lessons. Olivia also teaches African dance at Roxbury Roots Montessori and studies and teaches yoga at the Jackson Youth Camp. Welcome, friends, to Inclusive Collective Podcast. Hello. Hi. Hi. We're happy to be here. Leon, it's so great to meet you. You you may not believe this, but we don't get a ton of circus arts experts here. So can you start us off with telling us what are, what is included in... Uh, well, circus arts, what's great about circus arts is there's kind of a bunch of different things that are really typical in circus arts. So you can think about partner acrobatics, where people stand on each other and make different shapes. Um, tumbling, which is similar to gymnastics, aerials, which is things that hang from above that we can climb up and work together to make different shapes on together, um, juggling, and I say balance already, maybe balance. But then what's awesome about circus is that if you have an audience that is interested in watching what you're doing and you can make a fantastic story or a spectacle then it is included in circus. So that can include different forms of dance. That could include everything from jump rope to, you know, juggling with a soccer ball. Any of those things would be included in circus. So we kind of have our core disciplines, but the ability to add anything into it. And is there an age limit okay. for, for circus arts? No. <laughs> so anyone, yeah. any age? Any, yeah, that's true. It can truly be any age. Um, you start circus arts with whatever background you have. And so, and then you go and build your skills from there. So often people are like, there's no way I'd be able to do that. And it's not about starting at the very top, right? It's like anything that you learn that's new. You start with the, the skills and what you have, and then you build on that. And what's great about circus arts is that because there's all these different disciplines, there's usually a few things that people will gravitate towards. So maybe it's the balance and the juggling and maybe the tumbling is not their thing, but they learn some tumbling or maybe they really love aerials and they'll learn some juggling. And so you get to um, try and learn all different kinds of skills and maybe become more of like an expert in one or two of those areas. So I came to the circus with a lot of dance experience. Like I've never, I've never done any type of circus before. Um, I did gymnastics when I was like four or five or something, but I like didn't really do it. I just hid a lot <laughs> in yeah. the fun things. And, but I'm, I've been dancing for a while. And so, yeah, it's been really fun to like translate my dance skills and experience into the circus world and then also to learn like more specifically circus skills like juggling and different aerial things sure so when we talk about circus up and in a moment i want you to share kind of what the mission is and so forth but i'm curious if in general you've observed any sort of um disparities in the circus arts world as it relates to like the intersection of arts and maybe justice what are some of like your observations that you've taken into account sure um, or experienced i'd say that um 
to start with, circus arts for a long period of time was handed down through families um, and then also folks who literally would run away with the circus, right? And so the the circus um, would often accept folks who, you know, had been like this, we're talking way back when, but would accept folks who had been imprisoned and they couldn't get any other jobs, right? Because you kind of get blacklisted by that. And circus, you know, was like, oh, that's fine. Um, so ma many circus companies. Um, and so as, but as it's changed and transformed, a circus has become more of a recreational thing, similar to maybe yoga. And so because of that, and because of high insurance costs, et cetera, and space, uh, like renting a space that is suitable, um, it's become ex extremely exclusive in terms financially. Um, and then often also that goes along race lines as well. So not necessarily, but it can, right? So the circus became, um, it's really transformed the space. And it's also transformed who the performers are because circus is now more the folks who can afford to get the best training are then the folks who end up in the touring shows. And that has changed what the art form and kind of what is being showcased has looked like. And so um, Circus Up is a social circus program looking to change that. There's other social circus programs all around the country and all around the world. So um, we're not the only one by any stretch of the imagination. And so we all get to learn from one another and what we're doing and take what works and then also say, you know, this is what works for Boston that may not apply, you know, from somewhere else. Mostly it's a huge um, financial barrier that then translated into other kinds of cultural barriers. Yeah, that was my hypothesis going into this. So tell us a little bit more about Circus Up and so the mission, the vision, the values, wh uh, where it came from and, and what you hope to accomplish. So the, the mission of Circus Up is Circus Up uses circus arts to overcome social barriers and build community with people of all ages, backgrounds and abilities. That's the mission. Mm -hmm. Our vision, which also answers what we hope to accomplish, is a world where inclusion is the model, access is the norm and play, creativity, and diversity are celebrated. So we hope to create spaces where people of all ages, although we're definitely a youth-focused organization, um, feel a sense of belonging where they can express themselves create, creatively, oh, there it is, creatively, <laughs> and feel supported by each other and the coaches and their, their larger community as well. What are the youth learning? Like what are some of the programs that you have in place? Um, we have programs and after school programs, um, in school programs, we do workshops. We have a community troupe called Kirkos, which is a performance-based youth community troupe. And they have shows all around the Boston, the greater Boston area. They have, I think, 16 shows this year already, booked already. And um, so, yeah, so we have summer programming and then we have a scholarship program as well. Tell me more about the scholarship program. So, Olivia, what I know that you had um, worked on that. What is the purpose of it and why is it necessary? It's basically like, like Leah said before, um, you know, circus classes are not cheap at all. Um, and a lot of times they also take up a good chunk of your time, too. So um, between the time and the money, um, they're not as accessible as you would hope um but with the scholarship program um 
We've been helping people. I, we've had 25 students so far go through the scholarship program, both uh, youth and adults. Um, and we've been able to cover all or some, um, depending on like the financial situation of the individual um, of the circus class of their choice, which is really cool. And I have the pleasure of like, talking to all of the applicants you know we have like a quick zoom meeting where I'm, where we talk about like what they are interested in um if they have any questions and it's really nice to hear people um you know express their interest in wanting to move um and, and engage their bodies in like a super fun way um and also, like, how that physical engagement um, translates to, like, a mental engagement um, because any type of circus skill is, uh, is like, a little mind-bending. Um, and actually, we there's this, uh, like, book or text um, that's in the Circus Up classroom folder um about juggling and it talks about how juggling both like doing it and watching it creates um like new neural pathways in the in the mind it was just so cool um but yeah and so doing that and then especially doing that for people of color and um people who like without this program would have had a more difficult time like achieving that um or just being in spaces uh where they're able to do that um without the stress of like how do I have to budget this between like what I'm gonna eat or like how I'm gonna pay my rent um which so it gives them more like resources and access to be able to afford um this in their in their life exactly yeah yeah that's great and it's also really nice to um bring some color to the spaces where the circus classes are offered. I, I think, you know, that's a benefit for everybody involved. Can you expand on that? What, what, when you say bring more color to the the spaces, what, what does that typically look like? Yeah. Um, so the first time that I visited the studio that we practice at most frequently, um, I was like the darkest person in the room, which is I'm not like, you know, um, and not that anybody uh, like, you know, did anything uh, like explicitly to make me feel uncomfortable or to make me feel like I was uh, an other. Um, there is still that like, you know, like one of these things just doesn't belong. I think it's like a Sesame Street thing or something, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, one of these things is not like the others. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, like, there's that feeling of kind of being, like, on edge a little bit. Um, I think for for everyone, um, you know, whether that's conscious or unconscious, um, because you know, there, there is a sense of, of established community in a space. Um, and then when somebody comes in who, you know, is not an established member of that community, um, there's 
a little bit of hesitation um and you know all of these like implicit biases can come up and uh you know further harm people yeah and just inform the way that we interact um you know and we don't even know about it so it's really nice to um to to bring people of color into a space where you know these a lot of people probably are not interacting with a lot of black people a lot of people probably aren't interacting with a lot of people whose first language is not english um and you know they're not seeking those out again intentionally or unintentionally um but it provides an environment where you're creating those connections um whether it's by just like you know oh hey like we're in the same class and like making eye contact and being like oh we live five minutes away from each other um yeah do you find that um of course you just kind of listed off some you know the communities in which there's a a lack of representation in certain groups of people and identities and Leah you had mentioned that circus arts is obviously international I'm curious if that's also the case if there's underrepresentation in terms of race or gender? Is there a predominant group that kind of takes up the space internationally? And then also, what are the other forms of identity that you have experienced or observed that are that are underrepresented in the circus arts in general? I think, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert in a, the like, international circus scene. I sort of like know <laughs> what I know, but it's not like I dug super deep. So I, I think it really depends on what what company and what organization you're working with, I think it's pretty specific. I think there have been some organizations, some companies, some circus companies that have really changed the representation in the last um, few years that are being very intentional about who is performing. Um, I think that there has always been, like in any group of people that come together, there's tension, especially when there's kind of pre-existing issues around race or class. Um, So I think that's always been true and there's groups working to do things differently. Um, I've, I've also worked with Clowns Without Borders for a long time and we partner with other Clowns Without Borders teams from around the world, be it like Colombia or France or whatever. So that's, that's an organization where I've seen folks from different backgrounds come together and work for the huge majority of the part really, really well together with a common language and also being able to be like, I'm inserting my culture in this way and you step back and now it's your turn. And like, now it's a mashup and it doesn't work, but that's hilarious. Um, (laughs) So I I have seen it also work really beautifully together um, and not with ever without conflict, but conflict isn't necessarily, doesn't mean it's working. It's just part of it. Right. So I don't know that I'm the person to answer for the entire international circus community, just kind of my experience in it. But um, I, um, yeah, I think it's both worked and, and not, and, and not worked. I'm thinking about, uh, goes the youth community troupe and, um, how, like, so when we're practicing, um, part, okay. So part of, um, I think Leah's intention in inviting me, uh, to the team was to um because of my uh dance experience was to bring like um more dance to the performances um to the acts and so we've been encouraging that and a lot of times my direction is like 
dance um, to the kid. Um, and, you know, they, they, they dance um, and they do the dances that, that they're familiar with and that they know, which are often like, you know, like the fun, popular, like TikTok dances or um, sure. pop, a lot of pop, like yeah. a lot of like hip hop and like, like Jersey, like a lot of like Chicago influence, um, and a lot of like a lot of Black American um, influence and in dance, um, and I think that like that is something that we don't really see in circus performances, prior. like in uh, you know I think in Boston uh, and uh, you know in America, especially within like the last however many years, there's been um, you know obviously like black music and dances like super popular obviously but um in terms of like when i think of circus or when i used to think of circus i thought of very like i thought of like circus Soleil, you know or so very like elegant like yeah you know it's like classy exactly yeah, right um yeah. and so it's really exciting to see like what's happening when we give the kids you know do your do your thing and then they work their the dances that they and the songs that they um that they know and that they listen to like on the regular um into their circus acts um and I think that that I think that has like a lot of really cool potential um and it's something that we I haven't seen before um I'm thinking now of like the 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 Harlem Globetrotters I mm -hmm. think they do that yep um but you know I think also there's, um, I think for for our organization, um, there's also lots of representation that we don't necessarily have, right? So there's like, there, there's lots of different kinds of representation. There, there's lots of, there's so much diversity, right? So we have a, a group of like eight or nine kids. So we're not going to get every single kind of diversity in that eight or nine kids. And that will probably, if we're just being realistic, that'll probably always be true. So I think there's all different kinds of diversity that we're absolutely missing. Um, and um, and in some ways, I think that's okay. Like, I don't think we need, like, one person from every, like, niche to be like, and now it's complete, right? And that that's kind of, that's not our goal. Our goal is to have it be a welcoming space where, where anyone could feel they could come in, but it's not, we're not like handpicking to say like, this is what we're missing. So you have to be, so you must join this group, right? That, that doesn't feel natural or good. Um, so I think that there's, like I said, there's like all different, I think it, there's a difference between creating an environment where people will for the most part feel welcome or feel that difference is invited and okay and celebrated. Um, and, saying, you know, yes, we have a representation of everyone. Those are kind of, I think, two different things. It's been so great having you. It's so much fun to think about some of these things. Um, we usually ask our guests at the end of the show for some recommendation on a resource around diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, and so, but I just open it up. Is there anything that our audience should be paying attention to in the world of circus arts? So, and to answer your question, a resource is you know, uh, everyone should keep reading all of the resources that there are out there by all means, but that we think that it's more important to come experience it and come be a part of it. So, um, for example, Kirkos has, like I said, I think 16 shows lined up. It's on our website. Almost all of them are open to the public. So you can come, you can come hang out with us and experience it. 
to see to see what it's like. And um, if anyone thought that that was a genius thing that I just said, my wife told me to say it. I'll admit I thought it was genius as you were saying it. So yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to tell her that. <laughs> um, it was also Olivia's idea too before yeah. she said it. Yeah. Well, my resource is um, your own body to get into your body a little bit, you know, move around mm-hmm. safely and respectfully. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the final resource I'd say that um, everyone should listen to this podcast. It's been really eye opening. It's called The Inclusive Collective. <laughs> <laughs> so you all should check that out. It's really great. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't pay her to say that either. <laughs> well, Leah, <laughs> Leah Abel uh, and Olivia Hatton, thank you so much for joining us this week on Inclusive Collective. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back with our calm reflections and raves and rants. Welcome back, folks. So we just finished chatting with some team members from Circus Up. Rob, I loved talking to them because I I have to tell you, um, of course, I'm friends with Leah. Prior to meeting Leah, I knew nothing about circus arts. And yeah. just in like going, attending some of the events and um, watching her, it's incredible what some of these artists, um, what their movements are, just, just their um, creativity and the work that they do. And I love that there's this focus on um, really like bringing um, justice, social justice and equity Mm -hmm. to uh, the circus world. So what were your takeaways? Yeah, yeah. No, I thought I really liked at the end, Leah had stated that it's not really about uh, checking off boxes in terms of diversity. And it's not diversity bingo where we're looking to get one of everyone uh, to come to our organizations about creating a space where everyone can be themselves and be free and be very free in their movement and, and, and how they perform, right? And so I thought that was a really beautiful sentiment. Um, the one thing I would remind our listeners is that, so Circus Up is an organization that thrives on donations, and we didn't get to it with Leah and Olivia, but uh, you can go to circusup.com, and you can set up a recurring donation, which is what you know all uh, you know small organizations need, is they need to be able to, to uh, count on that money coming in at a regular rate. So just, uh, you know, donate where you can, if you get a chance, there's also a shop so you can get some circus up gear swag. there as yeah. well, which that's probably where I'm headed after yeah. we finish recording this show. Um, so again, thanks so much to Leah and Olivia and, you know, super excited to have, uh, some different perspectives on the show today. Absolutely. Rob, what time is it? It's time for are, are we, are we ranting a little bit? Yeah, we're ranting. I think you are taking the lead in that. All right, so I'm going to rant. I'm going to start with, uh, it's about football, or football of the global uh, sort, football, as you say, in, oh. in Brazil. Okay. Brazilian-born star Vinicius Jr., or Vinny Jr., of Real Madrid, has been subject to many racist taunts and behaviors over the past two seasons, culminating in seven people being arrested this last week, four for hanging an effigy off of a bridge in uh, Madrid, and three others uh, being involved in a racist chance in Real Madrid's game versus Valencia. Both innocents are being treated as hate crimes. So my rant is for the president of La Liga, the Spanish league, for not taking action to protect one of the best players in the world. Well, I mean, it doesn't matter. Who's one, but as a star player, obviously, and uh, these are the people that make him rich by, by going out and, and sharing their talents with the world. Claimed he didn't have 
jurisdiction to intervene and even said Vinnie Jr. shouldn't speak about it publicly. So we know that's absolutely bullshit, right? It's not true. For example, here in the U.S., when we see this type of behavior, leagues are very aggressive to make sure that they protect their players uh, because, again, that's that's who creates value for these leagues. And so, uh, wow. you know, uh, rant against the president of La Liga. Yeah, do better. All right, well, let's end on a positive note here. So, Rob, you know that my focus, uh, my research focus, is on religious identity in the workplace. So I was really right. pleased to see that Intel, um, the organization, was named the most faith-friendly company according to the REDI index, which uses a variety of measures to assess a company's friendliness toward religion and belief. Um, I love this because people's experiences are not monolithic, and it's great to see that organizations are um, recognizing just that and providing spaces to people who belong to a particular faith. Um, and giving them the space to identify, you know, to either identify with um, and feel supported. So really good yep. news on on that. Yeah. And I, I dug into that a little bit, Nadia. And so my, my, my worry when we talk about religious inclusion here in the United States is that's code for how do we bring Christian perspectives into the workplace right. above all others. But it really looks like this list is a pretty good job of thinking through the fact that there are many religions yeah. uh, here in the United States and and ranking the company. So Definitely a positive thing, and it's definitely a big part of, of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion work. Absolutely. All right, Nadia, that is it. Fun episode. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refilion Media. We would love to hear from you. Send us your feedback at inclusivecollective at refilion.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, except for in Montana. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcast. If you want to get in touch with us for consulting, check out Nadia at NazConsultants.com and check out me, Rob, at TacanoConsulting.com. Thanks again to our guests, Leah Abel and Olivia Hatton of Circus Up. Again, you can go to CircusUp.com to make a recurring donation. Nadia, we will see you next week. Be well. Be well.